This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 19, Comic Reviews for the week of October the 17th. Welcome once again to Comic Shenanigans. So this week uh, we got episode 19. Uh, we're looking at the comic reviews for the week of October the 17th. Uh, so we have some really good stuff that came up this week. Well, a few good, a few really good things. Um, it did seem like in general it was a bit of a, you know, not the greatest of weeks. It was a little bit uh, here and there. Um, a lot of middling books, the books that were kind of okay but weren't really exciting, but there was a few books that were really, really good and kind of made the week a little bit more uh, enjoyable as a result. So there's some interesting stuff here. That being said, however, before we actually jump into the actual episode and uh, talking about all the um, the reviews of the books that came out this week, I just wanted to take a moment uh, as we record this episode, it's it's Saturday, October the 20th, and I just wanted to take this opportunity to wish a very happy birthday to one of our listeners, uh, Tom Kerr, uh, who is turning 30 today, so happy birthday, Tom, and... uh, you know, thanks for thanks for listening and for being a, a loyal a loyal listener of the show. Um, so, from all of us at Comic Shenanigans, happy birthday! So, let's just jump right on into uh, this week's comics. Um, we start off with Avengers Assemble number eight. Uh, so, this is, I believe, the last issue uh, by uh, Bendis and Bagley, um, and this book is kind of an odd one. Uh, it's, I mean, it is in in regular continuity, but it's featuring the, uh, Avengers movie team. Um, and it kind of feels like they've, they've specifically done Avengers Assemble to kind of feel like the movie. So if you like the Avengers movie, theoretically, if you knew anything about what you were looking for, you could go to a comic book store and get Avengers Assemble. And it's it's somewhat similar in tone, especially the way it starts, uh, in the first couple issues. Now it has Thanos, Guardians of the Galaxy. So if you know anything about what's coming up, coming up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it makes sense to read this book because thematically and character-wise, it does center on the things that are going to be important when you get to Avengers 2 and Guardians of the Galaxy, the movie. So there is a lot going on. That being said, I haven't been a huge fan of what they've been doing with Thanos in the storyline, and it's not even because of the storyline itself, and I admit that I'm a really big fan of continuity, and when continuity is disrespected or just not addressed, I find it really bothers me, um, and it's harder for me to enjoy a story as a result, even though the story might be really good. Um, I get caught up in in the continuity, and if it doesn't mesh well with what is supposed to happen, uh, then I find it a little bit irksome. Uh, so we've got Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bailey at the creative team. The idea of the storyline, obviously, is that the, um, Thanos has gotten possession of a cosmic cube. That's obviously not good for anybody. Um, so they try to figure out how to take down Thanos with this cube, and they end up in the Cancerverse. Uh, the Cancerverse was last seen in the Thanos Imperative, and it kind of... I almost, I, I almost wish that they hadn't mentioned the Cancerverse, because it's bothersome enough that... There's a huge thing that happened in the like the cosmic universe when Abner and Lanning were writing it was a really cohesive place. It was extremely enjoyable. Everything mattered. And in Thanos Imperative, they brought it all together. The Guardians of the Galaxy fought against Thanos. So did Nova, Richard Rider. And when it all, when all was said and done, Thanos was locked away in the Cancerverse with Richard Rider and Star Lord Peter Quill. 
and then that was that was the ending, and there was no Novas left. And suddenly, Jeff Loeb brings in the new Nova uh, in the Marvel Point One issue, and the, that character was later seen in Avengers vs. X Men, and he's soon going to be getting a, his own book with uh, McGinnis illustrating. And that's that new Sam Alexander version of Nova. But there's not much discussion on how he even can be Nova because there was kind of, you know, when Richard Ryder was gone, that the Novas couldn't exist anymore. From what I I remember, which I admit isn't the best at the moment. So that's kind of what was happening at the end of Thanos Imperative. And Peter Quill was gone. The Guardians didn't really find their way. And then that gave way to the Annihilators being formed. But now, the Guardians are back to normal. Star-Lord is now blonde. He's back. He's going by Star-Lord instead of just Peter Quill, which doesn't really fit that version of the character as written by Abner and Lanning. It just kind of feels like they're throwing it together because this is what the movies are going to want. And... I mean, for years we've always made fun of, you know, comics kind of going by what the movies want. And movies will come out, and then suddenly Mystique will look like she did in the movie, or Toad will look like he did in the movie. And eventually they'll go back to normal, but they do have that that movie effect. And it can be really annoying to long-time uh, readers of comics, because that's not, that's not what we're reading. We're reading for our characters, not for our characters to be changed by movies to fit other interpretations of these characters. We're not really interested in seeing that. So I'm not as interested in seeing this new version of the Guardians because this isn't the version that I fell in love with to begin with. Um, that being said, again, this is still an entertaining issue. We got the elders of the of the uh, universe show up. And, I mean, if you know anything about Thanos, you know that they have a connection, a pretty big connection to Thanos. Um, and so I, I the, the issue was interesting. I thought the conclusion to Thanos having this faulty cube was a little haphazard like it didn't really feel like it, it went as far as it should like it, it felt very easy it ended quite simply uh everything was very pat um i did like i mean there's a part in here where uh tony stark has mentioned that you know he he definitely um uh he envies the guardians of the galaxy because of what they're able to do and uncharted worlds undiscovered sciences and green ladies which is a total, very tony stark thing to say and star lord's like you should come with us and uh and then Tony's like, I do all myself a vacation, so this makes sense because I think last week at the New York Comic Con or one of the recent cons, it did mention that um, in the new Guardians of the Galaxy book written by Bendis and art by Steve McNiven, that Iron Man was shown in the artwork so that he was going to be on that team. So I guess this makes sense now that he it definitely is not just Iron Man, but also Tony Stark going into space. Uh, I don't know how that'll work, because he's still going to be in every other book and his own, so, I mean, not much of a vacation, it's just one aberration to explain how he's there, which feels like just a way of making sure that more people buy the book, because, oh, look, it's Iron Man, I like Iron Man, oh, Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't know if I like that, but uh, I like Iron Man, and I guess that makes sense from a marketing point of view, but from a storytelling point of view, it doesn't feel all that, you know, necessary. So I gave Avengers Assemble number 8 by Bendis and Bagley a 7 out of 10. That brings us up to AVX Consequences number 2. Now this is a book that I really wanted to be interesting, and I feel like it's not really living up to its potential at all, uh, unfortunately. Um, so this issue is written by, I believe, Kieran Gillen. Uh, let me just make sure about that. Yep. Uh, artwork is not by Tom Rainey, which is a good thing because last issue was terrible. Um, I actually usually like Tom Rainey. I know a lot of people don't like his artwork because he's, he's got a very particular style and you can tell it's Tom Rainey. Last issue was not in any way normal for him and that was not even a good thing. Like it was some of the worst 
Tom Rainey stuff I've ever seen. Like on the recap page here, you have a shot of Wolverine by Tom Rainey from last issue, and it looks very familiar. You can see the Tom Rainey esque qualities, but it also looks like Neil Adams and not in a good way. Like I mean, like current Neil Adams, where everyone has crazy long hair and there's cra- like a ridiculous amount of lines that are just unnecessary. It's like he tried to do the '90s school of like you know Jim Lee's detail lines and like. It just doesn't work, and this this the shot is just awful. Uh, but this mm-hmm. issue actually has art by Steve Kurth with Alan Martinez and inks and Jim Sharalampitis on colors. And I apologize for massacred that name. Um, so once again, we see Cyclops having a different helmet based on which book he's in. Um, him and Wolverine hash things out here. I, I felt a, a lot of this stuff kind of bothered me because. I mean, I do like that they're kind of sitting in a room and having the showdown and Scott being very unrepentant. Uh, and then his comments about Jean Grey bothered me, not because he said them, but because Wolverine took it so personally. Like, at the end of the day, like, Wolverine opened a school with Jean Grey's name, and Scott didn't bat an eye. Like, he didn't, he didn't, even though, I mean, really, if anyone was going to be naming a school in Jean Grey's name, it would probably be her husband and not some dude who lusted after her for years. Um, so the fact that Cyclops is like, you know, now I get what Jean was like, and now I understand her more than ever, more than you ever will, and then Wolverine just goes ballistic. It just didn't feel that interesting to me. It just felt very, I don't know, emotionally flat, even though I'm supposed to be riveted that they're talking about this woman that they both love, because I just feel like, at the end of the day, Wolverine was just the guy, and Cyclops was the husband. He was the love of her life. He and Wolverine was just they may they may have had an attraction, but it was nothing more than that. And I hate this idea that he's so incensed by it because it just it felt off. And then Wolverine being like, "No, wait, you want to die? You want to be a martyr?" Um, and there's a great line in here where Cyclops says, "In a few years, some rebellious little kid is gonna turn up at your school with me and his T-shirt." Cyclops was right, and I want that shirt. <laughs> um, but. Considering that this is supposed to be a whole thing, a whole miniseries about the consequences of what happened in Navy Ice, it doesn't really feel like we're getting a lot of real consequences. We're getting a lot of hand-wringing, a lot of Cyclops feeling like he did the right thing, which I think he kind of did. He did what he had to do, as much as that ended up going in a bad way because of the Phoenix Force. I mean, at the end of the day, he had the best of intentions, although that is the way of hell, right? Um... Not the worst artwork in the world, but uh, and uh, marginally better than Rainey's, but from last issue, the script is all right. I just I feel like it needs to be doing a little bit more, um, and it's not really. There's other things I want to see. I want to see what happened to the world after what happened in AVX. Like, and the Phoenix Five tried to change the world to make it a better place. What happened to all the structures they put into effect? All the 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 groundwork, the frameworks that they tried to put into place. Uh, what about the Zacks crew? Like, what about all the good things that they were doing? Why aren't they addressing this? Why aren't they going back and saying, well, this is what happened as a result of this? I think that would have made this a little bit... I mean, there's still time, because there's still three more issues, but I feel like they're not going to get to that, and that's really sad to me. Uh, next up is Batwoman uh, number... Oh, sorry, AVX Consequences number two. I gave a six and a half out of ten. I think I may have just gone right past that. Next up is Batwoman number 13. Uh, I really enjoy this book, even though at times the storyline is a little weird. The artwork is so gorgeous that it, I can forgive it completely. Like it, Sometimes you get such amazing artwork that it allows you to move past a somewhat 
relatively uh, simple storyline. This is one of those for me. Uh, J.H. Williams III is just a brilliant illustrator. Uh, he's got a great command of storytelling uh, and also just beautiful artwork. So you have a team up here between Batwoman and Wonder Woman. And it seems like, oh yeah, let's just put the two <laughs> the two women characters together. But honestly, it, it may not seem like the most natural of, uh, of uh, team-ups, but it actually comes off brilliantly like they complement each other quite well uh there's some great narration here uh with wonder woman being like you know that that woman's obviously uncomfortable in the situation because you know she's she has certain reactions to wonder woman being there and being like self-conscious and feeling out of her depth and wonder woman trying to kind of put her at ease as they do this and and, and batwoman just kind of being in awe of this woman um this extremely strong brilliant woman uh i really enjoy this issue um, you get a little bit more into the idea of them trying to find out if if the Gorgon is still imprisoned. Uh, you see Batwoman really going out of her depth, but still being able to adapt to the situation. So, brilliant artwork. The storytelling in here is absolutely incredible. Uh, the the artwork, the colors, it's just so lush and vibrant. And Williams III really plays with this, um, how your eyes follow the page and especially when they're going through a labyrinth, that's how it reads as you're kind of going up and down the page. Brilliant artwork. Um, storytelling is unparalleled. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, there, It wasn't perfect. I mean, I don't really care a lot about the storyline in a lot of ways. I mean, it's interesting. It's more it's more a visual spectacle, and that is really pulling me through this. Uh, the storyline's not bad. I mean, there's some really, as I said, there's some really good internal narration on the, on the part of Wonder Woman and Batwoman. But, um, but no, it's a very solid, solid book. I give this an 8 out of 10. Uh, brings us to Before Watchmen Minutemen number 4. Uh, this is uh, one of my favorite books from the Before Watchmen line. Darwin Cook is the absolute right choice to write these characters. Uh, this does feel like we're fleshing out a period in time that we don't know a lot of um, because of the, the way in that Watchmen is set. So... I like the, how they wrote this story. Uh, here you have Hollis Mason uh, visiting with um, with Byron, who's supposedly is once upon a time his best friend. we got uh, some great flashbacks as to when uh, he's helping Byron create some of his, um, you know, his mechanical devices. Uh, a lot of this is all about also um, Silhouette because she was a lesbian and how the team kind of treated her and what happened upon her death and how... Uh, Tries to avenge it. We also have a lot more as to what happened with, like how, comedian and uh, Silk Spectre kind of deal with the death of the character as well. Uh, we see a little bit about what what kind of changed for comedian, what changed his life, uh, made him a little bit harder, and kind of made him into the character we know. We know, like we know, he was a, kind of a jerk, but we also see what really happens to him and when he becomes more of a soldier, um, and. There's some. It's just really, really engaging. I, I, I am actually really excited about eventually having this on my bookshelf. I don't think I would buy any of the other before Watchmen books to put on my bookshelf as trades, but this one, without a doubt, because this is just a brilliant, brilliant story. Uh, Darwin Cook is the only one I think who could have uh, told this story so masterfully that 
Uh, it doesn't in any way invalidate anything that came before in terms of the actual Watchmen book. Um, and you actually do feel like you're getting extra flavor with these characters that we know a little bit of but never got to see too much of. Uh, this is just exquisite. Uh, I gave this a 9 out of 10, and it, it deserves every point there. It really is that good. So next up, I believe we have Birds of Prey. Uh, Birds of Prey number 13. Um, so this is... Uh, actually, I, I, I like this issue a lot. I really enjoy uh, this series, mainly because I, I like that they've they thrown Batgirl in there. I mean, it doesn't seem right without her. Um, this story was mainly about Katana as she kind of fights against uh basically like a horde of uh of of enemies. Um this issue is written by Duane Swierzynski and with pencils by Romano Molinar or Molinar, I don't know how you pronounce that. Um I really liked um Katana kind of taking a little bit more of a of a prominent role in this issue. Uh her sword is taken from her and she believes that, you know, it's the sword of her husband is inhabiting it. So obviously this is very upsetting to her that it's gone. Um, so her and the rest of the team are going to try and, you know, reclaim, uh, reclaim the sword. Uh, there's some really, just really fun and enjoyable stuff here with, in terms of how the characters interact and how, like, they're, they're willing to get a little bit of blood in their hands, but maybe not too much. Um, this is just a really good, I really enjoyed how this issue was, was kind of put together. Uh, I'm not a big fan of this book in general because it seems a little bit schizophrenic. It tries doing one thing and then it switches to another. Um, that being said, especially after having read the Zero issue, which kind of was the form, kind of gave you the formation of this team up between Batgirl and, and uh, Black Canary, which became this partnership later in life. Uh, this still isn't the Birds of Prey of old that I really enjoyed back when Gil Simone wrote it, but it's still a solid book all on its own. Uh, I gave that a 7 out of 10. Next up is Daredevil number 19. Uh, this book is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I'm not really sure what the last page means, what it, what it means for the spot, but uh, so much of it makes total sense now because this whole book has been about, you know, is Matt Murdock going insane? And Foggy Nelson thinks, yes, she's definitely going nuts. But uh, there's a little bit more going on here, and uh, it's basically the spot is one of the reasons why. And I just found that extremely engaging. Like, the fact that the sp- I like the spot a lot. I even liked him on the Spider-Man animated series. I know a lot of people think spot is a bit of a joke. Uh, I think he's anything but a joke if done well. And here he's really messed up, and I guess he's gone by a new going by a new name now. But he's kind of result of uh, the one kind of causing so many problems for Matt Murdock, and it makes sense. Like because I was wondering, like how does this even make sense? But as you go through this issue, when things aren't happening the way that Matt Murdock expects them to, or he's jumping into something and then he's suddenly somewhere else. Uh, I don't know if I buy that he wouldn't really have noticed, but I guess really if a portal just kind of j- gets you and you're immediately somewhere else are you i guess it's so instantaneous that you wouldn't even have time to be uh confused or disoriented but it does bring up some questions but um mark wade obviously wrote this issue with chris samney on art chris samney i mean every artist on this book seems to be able to uh, tap into the certain the certain i don't i don't even know the word but it looks like there's a visual consistency throughout the so many artists who have got gone on this book and yet 
the actual uh, visual tone and consistency of the book has not changed at all. And that's a really big thing, because you've had like four or five, six different artists on this book, and yet there's been a visual consistency throughout six different artists, and each book kind of still fits in its own way. That's a quite an achievement by a, a lot of different artists to be able to to be able to maintain that kind of balance. Um, there's a lot of good stuff here to, with, with Foggy Nelson as well, as he kind of uh, admits Matt's secret to the district attorney, and now man, he's kind of putting himself into an odd spot, uh, which is not good at all. Um, but no, this was this was really good stuff. I really enjoyed it. I'm interested to see what the heck Coyote is, because it's basically a spot, it looks like, but different. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what this is, but I'm interested to see where they go. The last page is kind of messed up but crazy, because you have uh, Daredevil's body, and then you have Daredevil's head. Because I guess it's going through a dimensional portal, it, it's not actually technically a part, but it looks like it's a part. So it's a, it's a gr- There's so many things in this book where I feel like Mark Wade is tapping into something that no one else thinks of. Like, the first few issues of this of this volume, you suddenly had Matt Murdock dealing with Claw, the Master of Sound. Who, why didn't anyone ever come up with that before? You know, like, Daredevil saw about sonar and his radar and sound, and why not have him come up against the Master of Sound? Like, that's such a great idea. Why didn't anyone think of this? So what Mark Wade is doing with this book is taking concepts that no one else even would have thought of and saying, you know what, I, I want to do this. And it's just... It's mind-blowing. Like, some of the stuff that he does is just so good. Um, so I gave this Daredevil number 19 a 9 out of 10. And again, well-deserved. A fantastic issue. Very enjoyable to read. So our next book up is um, Green Lantern New Guardians number 13. Um, you know what? I haven't been a big fan of this book for quite some time. It just kind of feels like it's doing stuff without, without a real reason. Uh, first of all, this Rise of the Third Army storyline is terrible, because it's not even, if you're going to do a crossover, at least make it important, at least, and first of all, I hate the design of the characters, they're dumb, they're, they're not really that all that interesting, they don't have any personality in terms of characters, so you have these, these creepy, like, zombie-like creatures, alien creatures just going through space and transforming more people into the Third Army, it lacks any kind of resonance, it lacks any kind of you know, oh my god, this is going to happen. It just feels very forced. Uh, this issue is by Tony Bedard and Andre Brisson. Um, this is actually, as I said, one of the first issues of New Gardens I've enjoyed in quite some time. You have Kyle Rayner deciding that he's got to learn how to focus uh, and, and, you know, channel the other rings with his own. So he goes to uh, Atrocitus to learn about rage. Um, so it's very much a done-in-one type of issue. Uh, there's not a lot more to it than that. That being said, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, just kind of seeing Atrocitus try to push him, uh, so that he could channel his rage, and then finally doing it and realizing that, you know, tapping in all these emotions might actually have a, a, a negative effect on Kyle. It might make him colder and harder, and that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, there's also more attention paid to looking back at Kyle Rayner's origin, um, and it looks like it's pretty much the same, although I wonder who put his ex-girlfriend in the fridge, because Major Force, technically speaking, didn't show up until Captain Adam was already running as a book, as in the New 52, so they probably are just going to pretend that didn't happen, so that it was still Major Force. Um, it's sad that she still had to die that way, but it is an important moment in Kyle Rayner's history, so it makes sense that they wouldn't want to to take that away, uh, and it's interesting seeing Atrocitus try to channel 
his rage or potential rage at her death to see that that's enough to make him become a Red Lantern. And obviously it's not because, as Kyle says, he's sad and he's, he's terribly sad about it, but it's not, he's not even angry anymore. It's been, he's just, he feels like he wasn't good enough for her and he's the reason she's dead and he could have been better at it and that she always believed him and it just makes him very sad. So it was an interesting way of examining that kind of relationship. Uh, I gave it, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10, because it wasn't amazing. Uh, the artwork wasn't the best artwork I've ever seen, but it was still a pretty solid book, all in all. Uh, that brings us to my pick of the week, my absolute favorite book that came out this week. Uh, if I was going to give it a 10 out of 10, which, you know what, screw it, I am. I was going to give it a 9.5, I'm going to just upgrade it to a 10, because I think if any book this week deserves it, it's definitely this book. What book am I talking about? I can only be talking about one book, and that would be Hawkeye. Uh, this book, it's Hawkeye number three. So this book has only been around for three months, and yet every month it's come out, it's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, I was talking about this with uh, one of my frequent guests, uh, Nathan Strzok, and then I was saying, like, you know, I cannot wait for this to come out in trade so I can just, uh, so that he can have it on his shelf and he hasn't had a chance to read it yet. Uh, Fraction writing it with David Aja on art. Um, this is a team that did, uh, or at least was part of the team that did the Immortal Iron Fist. Um, so, <laughs> they have a pedigree already, but this is one of the best uh, iterations of David Aja's artwork I've ever seen. It's extremely minimalist, and uh, really, it looks a lot like David Masichelli, or Masichelli, uh, the artist of Batman Year One and Daredevil Born Again. Uh, if you look at the line work, it really reminds you of... That, that artist's uh, style and the storytelling. Um, this is just one of the best books I've ever read. Uh, it's just so enjoyable because this I love Hawkeye. I have for a long time. This is a very different version of Hawkeye, but at the same time, it's, it's very quintessential Hawkeye at the same time. Um, and yes, I just said at the same time twice in one sentence. Um, this is Hawkeye when he's not an Avenger, when he's on his own, doing his own thing. It's kind of like, it's basically an off day, but he can't extricate himself from being Hawkeye. Uh, this issue is basically, uh, like most of it is told as, um, uh, you know, Kate, so Hawkeye 2, I guess, and Hawkeye are trying to get away from, uh, basically like this tracksuit mafia type of thing. The ones who kept saying, bro, bro, um, so they're trying to find the to kind of, they're chasing, it's a car chase, basically, and it's just Clint throwing, uh, shooting a bunch of arrows at them and trying to escape, while you flash back to what led them to this case, um, to everything kind of unfolding this way, uh, and it's kind of the idea of, Hawkeye has all these trick arrows, that's kind of one of the, the devices that we're seeing here, and we're learning all about the trick arrows as they try to get away, and you also see how he gets himself in trouble by, uh, meeting a woman and, and, uh, getting involved and then buying the car, a uh, car that she has, uh, one of the panels here is absolutely fantastic. Uh, Hawkeye jumps through the air as gunfire is ripping up a room. He's totally naked. He's got no clothes on, so he's jumping through the air, and then you have this Hawkeye head, just like a, just a print of Hawkeye's head, and it happens to be covering his junk. And I was listening on, uh, on a different podcast, Comic Vines podcast, um, comicvine.com, if you want to find that podcast and, uh, and, and listen to it, they have a really good product as well, um, and anyways, they mentioned that apparently it was inspired by an episode of Freaks and Geeks, the short-lived TV show from the, I guess the, was it late, late 90s or early 2000s, I'm not exactly sure when it came out, but really good show, and apparently there's a character there who's got like a, uh, blue, like a, a, 
there's something covering kind of his junk in the same kind of manner. So that's where apparently inspired Matt Fraction to come up with this idea, and it's extremely funny. Um, this just this is a fast-paced, enjoyable issue. Technically speaking, not a lot really happens here. I mean, most of it's just like a car chase. But uh, it's the way that it's written and the way that you get introduced to all the different arrows that uh, Hawkeye has, all his trick arrows. And uh, the artwork with David Aja is just brilliant. And I like that every time he pulls out an arrow, you have like a little shot of what that arrow looks like and what it is. And uh, this is just extremely enjoyable. So much fun. Um, yeah, this is, this is brilliance, uh, 10 out of 10, this is the best book that came out this week, bar none. Uh, now we come up to Justice League number 13, um, I didn't care much for this issue, Jim Lee is off art right now, so we have, uh, Tony Daniel, and this is not Tony Daniel's best work, in fact, this is kind of, in some ways, his sloppiest work, it didn't have the cohesion I expected, um, I don't know, there's something I expect from, uh, Daniel's artwork, and this was just lacking, it, it it almost seemed like there wasn't as much detail given to it. So, in some ways, the line work was a little bit smoother, but that didn't feel like Tony Daniels' style or the way he usually illustrates. It was still good, but it wasn't as strong as it could be. Jeff Johns was still writing it. Uh, we pick up exactly from the end of the last issue, where, uh, we're not last issue, but issue number 12, with leave it off with uh, Superman and uh, Wonder Woman having their infamous kiss. And then it kind of moves onwards from there that there's a che- they have a cheater problem and... And, and uh, Wonder Woman wants to make sure she can kind of resolve the issue. And Superman, and it's kind of, some of it's interesting because it's the idea that in five years, these these individuals are not friends. But now they want to get involved a little bit more in each other's lives and be like, we want to help. We don't just need to be doing the big things. We can help you out with your own stuff. Uh, it does feel weird that five years after kind of joining this team is when they finally have start having this conversation, but... I guess that's alright. There's some interesting stuff here with Cyborg and Flash, but my only problem with their interaction is that this Flash doesn't feel like Barry, it feels more like Wally. Uh, but the the basic uh, kind of push behind it is that Cyborg is feeling less like a man and more like a robot, or like just a mechanical man, and how, how he's dealing with that. And there's some really funny stuff in here um, that, that actually made me... F- think that it was kind of a meta comment on cyborg because in here he mentions if the league goes away i don't know what i'll do you have lives you can go back to i don't well basically everyone else is a book uh batman wonder woman flash aquaman superman green lantern i think that's almost all of them um they all have another book to go to he doesn't um so and he's like if i'm not out dealing with things that need to be dealt with i'm here and so that's actually quite funny that, you know, at the end of the day, this is his only place to be found in the DCU. Considering he's the seventh member of the Justice League, or technically sixth member now that Green Lantern's left, it's really messed up that he doesn't have more of a focus, and they keep wanting to kind of put more focus on Cyborg, yet they're not doing much with him. This is the first time we've really seen a lot of characterization with the character and actually developing him. Um, you have some more stuff with Steve Trevor here. Uh, Batman and Aquaman are badasses, but that's as per usual. Uh, the last page, I don't like the look behind it. Just, it looks like Superman's been affected by the cheetah. Uh, it just just feels kind of cheap. Um, otherwise, the backup is interesting because you have Steve Trevor meeting up with, uh, Oliver Queen, and they're talking about, uh, basically putting together the new team and how maybe, uh, uh, 
Steve Trevor could actually use Oliver at this point in time. He could do he could do an errand for him. So, considering that it's going to be leading into and being continued in Justice League of America number one, I'm really interested in seeing where that goes. I wish that the main book, the main uh, story, was more interesting. With the backups, in some ways, more. Um, it has a little bit more gone because it's more of a, a mystery of what is this going to be leading to exactly? How where is this going? And that's exciting. Uh, but the rest of it, not really. Uh, six and a half out of ten. Next up is the Marvel Now point one. Uh, the last time we had Mar- like a, a point one issue, it was one where we first got the idea that it was coming, and then we later learned that the, you know it was the Phoenix Force and it was the Avengers versus X Men event. Uh, this one really didn't work for me nearly as well because this felt like less and less of a story and more this is previews of our upcoming books which it is but i feel like it needs to have a little bit more to it like when they had the civil war the initiative i think it was you know i don't even remember the exact name but right after civil war ended they had this one shot that had a bunch of different kind of previews of upcoming books and each one actually told a story that would end up springboarding into its own book especially the secret warriors one was brilliant uh, extremely, it was like, that's what I really knew that I wanted to pick up that book. Um, but this one didn't feel like it was anywhere near as engaging because it didn't have as much going on. Um, it just had, it, it had a framing device and it had stuff going on, but it just didn't feel it was anywhere near as, as engaging as from a reader point of view. And I was a lot less interested in picking up a lot of these books. So you have the framing devices by Nick Spencer and Luke Ross as they're doing a, a Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. story. That being said, it's Nick Fury Jr. Uh, I was at a gathering with some friends earlier today, um, and they were talking about how, you know, who is this Nick Fury Jr.? And I'm like, well, you didn't read Battle Scars. Uh, Battle Scars is where we first meet Marcus Johnson, who becomes Nicholas Fury Jr., or technically already is Nick Fury Jr. It's where he gets a, the a little bit of the Infinity Formula. It's where he gets his eyes gouged out so he looks like Samuel L. Jackson. It's where he shaves his head so he can look like Samuel L. Jackson. It's where he gets his outfit so that he looks like Steve Rogers did when he was wearing the Commander Rogers outfit. Um, I didn't really care a lot for it. I mean, it was kind of interesting because you have a guy supposedly from the future, but uh, I don't know. It felt like maybe this will mean something when we know what it means which doesn't make a lot of sense, but I feel like when we know what this is really supposed to mean, like in the upcoming Secret of Avengers book, when it's going to be a, sp- a place for this character to really take over and have a spotlight, maybe we'll see why this story was supposed to be uh, more of a springboard and, and what it means in the long run. Uh, we got a, a brief Star-Lord story, which I didn't really enjoy at all. Uh, again, I already mentioned my problems with um, Bendis' version of uh, Star-Lord. I think in general... Bendis can be an amazing writer, a really good writer. He doesn't necessarily like continuity that isn't his own. So the Cosmic Universe has been so good over the last few years up until, uh, well, I guess including the Annihilators, which wasn't as good as the Thanos Imperative because that really brought a, a close to DNA's, sorry, Dan Abnett and Abnett Landing's iteration of that cosmic story. But now we're getting this new one, and I just feel like the writers involved are not of the caliber and are, are, haven't researched it to the point where they're going to be able to do a good job with it. So we got Brian Michael Bendis and Steve McNiven are going to be doing this Guardians of the Galaxy book. And I'm not really looking forward to it because it's not the Guardians of the Galaxy I remember or one of the sea. Uh, the story here, I, it didn't do much for me. I did like seeing the Nova story. Nova fought Diamond Head, which, I mean, if you know anything about Richard Ryder, that's kind of Nova's thing. Uh, so they had a good fight. Jeff Loeb actually did a good job writing it. And Ed McInnes on artwork. Uh, again, I miss Richard Ryder, and I wish we'd understand why and how... 
this new Nova, Sam, Alex Sam Alexander, was able to become Nova. Uh, but that being said, I mean, there's time for that to happen in its, in the own, its own book. It's not outright refuting anything like Guardians of the Galaxy does, so it bothers me a lot less. Uh, you got uh, Miss America starring in the New World story, uh, her and Kid Loki. Kieran Gillen on art with uh, Jamie McKelvey and Mike Norton on art. Sorry, Kieran Gillen writing it, Jamie McKelvey and Mike Norton on art. Uh, I really enjoyed this. It was, I really like Kid Loki. I'm sad that he's no longer going to be in Journey into Mystery, but I'm glad that Kieran Gillen is going to be writing him in some way. So I'm interested to see what this new Young Avengers team is going to be like. Uh, Young Avengers was really good until the Children's Crusade happened, and it kind of massacred the team a little bit, and it made me quite sad because things were just kind of happening, and I didn't feel it really had a, a dramatic story, in-story reason to really happen, and it didn't really do a lot for those characters because the minute it was over, the characters kind of went dormant, like they didn't go anywhere. So what was the point of massacring the team and putting them through so much? Uh, Ant-Man, Scott Lang stars in the story. Uh, we've got Matt Fraction writing with Mike Albright on art. They're obviously the creative team of the upcoming FF book uh, after the relaunch. Uh, you know, this was cute. Um, it didn't really... I don't feel like it is actually going to be followed up on at all. It was really just an Ant-Man, Scott Lang story to kind of give you an idea of this is where the character is right now after Children's Crusade. Um, uh, again, at this gathering earlier today when I was with a bunch of friends who also read comics, one friend was like, uh, he read this issue and he was like, "When? How is Scott Lang even alive?" And I'm like, oh, "Again, you gotta read Children's Crusade. If you don't, you're gonna be confused." Um, so the next up is, uh, let's see. Oh yeah, there was a Ford story by Dennis Hopeless and Gabriel Gabriel Hernandez Walta. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if that's the same artist as the upcoming. Uh, uh, Cable and the X Force book, but it is the same writer. I didn't. This didn't really do a lot for me. I, I first of all, I'm glad at least that they're making Forge not a crazy cuckoo villain anymore because I really disliked what Warren Ellis had done to the character. Uh, and it, it, oh, I just because he's such a cool character, and then he ruined him, and made him a villain. So I'm glad he's going to be more heroic again. And I like the idea that he's going to be fixing Cable. Did that, this story really feel all that necessary or important? Nope, not at all. So I felt uh, on the whole. Some of the stories weren't bad, but it wasn't worthy of the inflated price tag that this book was demanding uh, for basically snippets of upcoming books. Granted, these snippets aren't going to be reprinted anywhere else except for the eventual trades, but it just felt like this didn't need to happen. So I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. Uh, next up is Mighty Thor number 21. Uh, this is a book which feels very schizophrenic in terms of the, the storyline it's telling because it's alternating with Journey into Mystery issues. Um... The Journey to Mystery issues of uh, Everything Burns have been brilliant, um, but the issues of Mighty Thor that have been in the storyline have not been nearly as as solid, um, which is really, really a shame. So this this issue has art by, um, what's his name? Sorry, Alan Davis, and written by Fraction. Um, it's okay. It brings an end to this, this sort of storyline. It did seem a little bit too easy. Um... That being said, I did like seeing, like, everything with Loki, Kid Loki was actually really, really good. The Thor stuff was a little bit more of a throwaway. It didn't feel as important. And the stuff with uh, Odin felt very unnecessary as well. But I'm not a big fan of where this book has been going. But I'm interested to see what's going to happen after Marvel Now. So, uh, this book, it kind of, it is what it is. And it was sad also because Loki kind of leaves and he's going to be gone for some time. Yeah, he's leaving the book. He's not going to be the star anymore. So, it was all right. Uh, I gave it a 7 out of a 10. It, it didn't really hit me either way, which was unfortunate. And next up is New Avengers number 31. Uh, ugh, I'm, I'm ready for this to be over. Um, I guess they have the new banner end times. I didn't realize it was going to be 
It looks like someone, uh, you know, the old label makers with, uh, you know, the black labels and the white uh, fonts. Uh, apparently, I guess, it's basically Avengers and New Avengers Disassembled, but they're not calling it that. Instead, they're calling it End Times, but they're showing a fractured A, just like in Disassembled. So what's the point? Basically, Bendis is almost done with this book. That's what this is about. Uh, Michael Gaidos is on artwork. Uh, an odd choice, considering the last few issues. Damon Hellstrom apparently is a good guy in this book, but evil everywhere else. Uh, Victoria Hand has some messed up things going on with her. I just felt like this issue didn't need to happen because I didn't need to see more of Luke Cage hand wringing and the idea that that you know they're they're quitting the Avengers and they're going their own way. I mean, it just it just didn't work for me on that level because I feel like we've been doing this forever and I just wanted it to be over. Um, Victoria Hand's story again felt very out of place. Uh, the Gatos artwork wasn't quite what it could have been, or should have been. It wasn't quite the right... Uh, I don't think he's the right artist for this book, especially with some of the action going on. Like, Gaidos is really good at some quieter stuff. Um, this wasn't in his wheelhouse. Uh, I give that a 6.5 out of 10. Uh, this brings us up to Nightwing, number 13. Uh, this was not the strongest issue. I'm looking forward to uh, the regular team kind of coming back, because I believe that this is an aberration, having Tom DeFalco on this issue. I think Higgins is coming back. Um, it's not to say that it was bad, uh, in fact, it was still quite good, it just, it did feel different, and it felt cheap as well, because this was kind of like a prelude to a Death, death of the Family storyline that's going through all the Bat books, uh, I kind of wish that we would have had a little bit more of that, um, instead of this kind of almost done in one issue, Tom DeFalco was the guest, okay, it actually does say guest writer, so yeah, just this one issue is what he's taking over for, Andres Guinaldo is the guest penciler, um, you know, I, 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 what I did enjoy is that even though this was a, basically a, a guest a guest stint, it did feel like you're still getting uh, some important stuff in the story. I also like that there's um, some great interactions with Nightwing and Batgirl. I really like seeing the two together because uh, they're kind of talking about the fact that Joker's back, what's going to happen next, um, what is where, where is the story going to kind of go i'm interested to see what happens with batgirl meeting joker again first time since she was crippled uh i'm interested to see how joker kind of ends up interacting with the entire bat family uh this this issue is not about that though this is really just an issue about lady shiva and nightwing eventually facing off with her when she finally shows up which looks like it's going to be next issue uh which makes me wonder when the death of the family interactions are finally going to kind of take place and and happen because i want to see how nightwing takes on joker so that which could be really good uh, i gave this uh, an eight out of ten next up is supergirl number 13 um you know i I, I'm not. I'm not so sure how I feel about Supergirl as a book in general, but this issue was actually pretty good. Uh, it's pretty contained. Uh, basically, the last, the last issue, again, not last issue because issue zero came out last month, but issue number twelve took place with um, uh, Supergirl meeting Tycho, who was in the bottom of the ocean in, a, in I guess, basically a fortress that uh, was expanded from the original technology in the pod that brought Supergirl to Earth. Um, so I actually really enjoyed this issue because, you get, I mean, yes, you get a lot of exposition, but uh, it was it felt like meaningful exposition as you're kind of learning more about what um, Supergirl's father had kind of created for her so that she could, uh, you know, 
have a place to call home on this on this alien planet. Uh, Mike Johnson wrote it. Sammy Basri was the guest artist uh, who actually had a pretty clean sty- artistic style. Um, you have a little bit of the prerequisite fight uh, sequence here when she fights Tycho, but from there, it's actually just a lot more interesting because it's really about what this what this um, you know this place at the bottom of the ocean means and what it means for Supergirl and how she kind of has her own version of the of the um, Fortress of Solitude, and here it's called Sanctuary. So and it has the the sound of her father's voice, so she's able to communicate with this fortress and uh she's able to neutralize Tycho and also sets up kind of an interesting new uh status quo for the character uh because she's now got like a, an actual home of her own so to speak uh and also it sets up the upcoming crossover for Hell on Earth. Um so this was actually a, a really a fun issue. It was it was uh not the great like best illustrations I've ever seen uh and not some of the best writing, but it was still an enjoyable issue. Um a good installment. I'm excited to see kind of where this Hell on Earth storyline goes and to see if it will make me care more about the Superboy title and even more about the Superman title. Um but I think of the three titles so far, Supergirl might actually be the one of the better ones because the others just uh, Superboy's just been a mess since the beginning. I'm not a big fan of how they're reinterpreting him being a clone, and I just miss the Connor Kent that I kind of uh, grew up with more. And uh, with Superman, it's been very schizophrenic because we've had different writers who didn't normally have an idea of how they want the book to go, and now that it'll actually have more of a consistent hand, hopefully it'll be a better uh, narrative overall. But so far, Supergirl is probably the best of the three titles that are going to be involved in this Hell on Earth storyline. Um, so I gave this issue, uh, Supergirl number 13, an 8 out of 10, because it was very solid, it was an enjoyable book, and, uh, one of the better DC titles that came out this week, obviously, so far we haven't seen a lot of, um, besides it, and I guess Batwoman, uh, a lot of them have been kind of middling in quality, um, although I guess Nightwing was a 8 out of 10 as well, so maybe the 13th issues aren't so bad after all. It is an odd spot, though, because you're thinking a lot of them pick up right from where issue 12 left off, but that was two months ago because we had the zero month in the middle. So that's when the zero month kind of feels oddly placed um, because you, you want to be like, oh, yeah, last issue, this happened. Wait a minute, that was two months ago. So you're you're one more step removed from what happened last in the storyline, and that is kind of a weird publishing snafu, and they probably should have given more thought to that. Uh, next up is Sword of Sorcery, number one. Uh, again, this is weird that they launched it with a zero issue uh, instead of a number one issue. That being said, I really enjoyed it. Uh, we have, it's I guess technically the title is Sword of Sorcery featuring Amethyst of Gemworld. Um, I really enjoyed this. I, I've never really read any of the old Amethyst uh, comics, but I found this to be quite an engaging and enjoyable book. I like the colors. They're very vibrant. Um, you got Christy Marks writing it with Aaron Lepresti on art. There is a Beowulf backup story. To be honest, I didn't read it. I didn't. I read, read the first couple pages, and I just I it didn't find it interesting. It didn't grab me at all. I found the artwork very. Um, uh, it, it wasn't distinctive. It wasn't that special. It was just kind of. It very it felt very run of the mill in every single way. So I just kind of didn't read it. As for the actual, um, you know, sort of sorcery featuring Amethyst, primary story. Uh, I don't know a lot about these characters, so I'm excited to see the world building, seeing how this this world is developed, how these characters are developed. I mean, you have this woman 
this girl who's grown up not and always been training to fight but doesn't realize what it all means and now suddenly when she reaches a certain age she's transported to another realm uh, everyone speaks a different language so she get, gets this enchantment so that she can speak other languages as well uh, there's all these you know these gem powers going on and it's all the sorcery and it's very much a fish out of water story with her mom uh, and I guess her aunt, who's evil. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. It was very fun. This is a story that you could definitely give. Um, you know, people are always like, what do I give a female reader? I would give them this. Uh, it's really engaging, really enjoyable, and it's got a very strong uh, female protagonist. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this is... And the characters, I mean, they they have interesting costumes, but they are the typical, you know, female superhero costumes, and like, the characters aren't busting out at every seam. I mean, the main character is basically a teenage girl, and she looks like a teenage girl, and she acts like one. Uh, so the creative team did a good job of really nailing down those facets of the character. Um, so, yeah, Christy Marks did a really good job on writing it, and Lopresti's artwork is actually some of the better work I've seen from him. The Beowulf Backup has a great creative team, Tony Bedard writing, and Jesus Saez on artwork, but it just failed to grab me at all. And considering the pedigree of the artistic team, uh, sorry, the creative team, that's really a shame. Uh, so I gave that a 7 out of 10, partially because of the Beowulf. If it was just the primary lead, I probably would have given that an 8 out of 10. Uh, the inclusion of the backup to bump up the price point is what kind of brought it down. Uh, next up, is, as we near the end, is Ultimate Comics Spider-Man number 16. Um, I am not following the, really the rest of the Ultimate Universe right now, so I really don't know what's going on with this United We Stand storyline. I know that the big news is that Cap America is going to become president of the United States in this version of uh, of America. That doesn't really concern me. I'm really just concerned with Spider-Man because I'm really enjoying Miles Morales. I never thought I would uh, when they first announced it, but it's been one of... I mean, it doesn't hurt the artists they've had on this book. Uh, they had, obviously, Sarah Pacelli started it in, before she moved over to Spider-Man, and I can't remember the name. I think it was Marquez uh, was doing the artwork on this book as well. Now we have, uh, I guess, Pepe Larraz is the art- artist here, and obviously Brian Michael Bendis is writing it. This is an action-oriented issue. It was mainly about... Uh, Spider-Man kind of dealing with, um, you know, an attack on the helicarrier uh, by the Queen Carrier um, and him trying to help out Cap America, who starts at the issue yelling at Miles, saying he's only 13 years old, he can't help out, he has to get out of here. It's just, he's out of his league. And then we have, uh, you know, Hydra show up, and then suddenly Spider-Man's really thrown into action. He helps save Cap America's life, and uh, he helps uh, repel the intruders. The artwork is absolutely incredible. I'm surprised that this is... Like, I have never heard of, of Loraz as an artist before, but his artwork is incredible. Like, this felt like Marquez's artwork in a lot of ways, but this is a great... I mean, part of it, obviously, is the inking and the colorist uh, help, helping maintain that consistency of tone uh, throughout each issue, even when you have different artists. But this was just visually quite an engaging book. Uh, one of Bendis' better scripts, uh, it was very talky, but... Uh, he also got kind of got out of the way and let the artist do what they do best, and um, oh, this is this is really enjoyable. And it also has at the end Cap America saying, you know, that he's decided to accept the offer to become president of the United States and try to bring everyone back together and kind of restore order. Uh, this was an extremely enjoyable issue. Again, the artwork was incredible. I gave this an eight and a half out of ten. Uh, next up is Uncanny X Men number twenty. So this is the last issue. Um, it's kind of going on with a bit of a whimper. I mean, the last few issues have been really good because they were AVX tie-ins. 
this issue kind of puts a pin in a lot of the uh, ongoing stories. It once again shows that there's no consistency at Marvel in terms of where uh, Cyclops is being held and also what type of prison he's in and if he's even supposed to be wearing a special helmet to negate his powers. Because here, he's just wearing his visor. So it felt very odd. Um, However, we are getting a conclusion to a lot of stories. We have Unit disappear. Uh, Most people don't care for Unit as a character. I kind of like some of the storytelling ideas, but really most people don't give a damn. So him being gone and just kind of leaving Danger alone is probably for the best. Um, We finally see the conclusion of the Colossal Knot story. Uh, It felt very... Very haphazard and very like very easy and it just kind of happened. It shouldn't be that easy to get rid of the Juggernaut power. Uh, I haven't read this week's Dark Avengers, but apparently uh, Juggernaut is more like the Juggernaut again. So I'm hoping that it kind of addresses that or at least bookends it that he got the power of Sidorak back. Although I don't even know how he was even Juggernaut at all, but without the actual f- tr- true Juggernaut power. But I don't know. And I hope that in future iterations of Kane Marco, we don't see the weird juggernaut markings that Colossus had because it just, it was very like out of nowhere because the character had never had access to something like that before and suddenly it did. It just didn't feel like it was necessary and it felt very um, like oddly thrown in there just for good measure. Um, so magic here takes away or severs the bond that created the Colossal Knot so that he's a, he's alone. It, I guess it's a turning point for Colossus as a character because he basically tells his sister that if they ever meet again, he'll kill her. Um, which seemed, I mean, I guess, I don't know, really know why Gillen has to go here in terms of a story. I guess the point is that magic has been turned into something that is no longer just the sweet little, sweet little Ileana that Colossus knows. And so this storyline is kind of really putting a pin on that and saying, no, he now he gets it. She's not his little baby sister anymore. She's been transformed by the, these powers of Limbo. And then she could have broken his bonds at any time to free him from being Colossal Knot and from having these destructive urges and from having this demonic power in her. And she did nothing. And so he's kind of, his resolution is that he would kill her if he ever sees her again. Uh, here you also have um, the Cyclops' big kind of moment is that he meets up with uh, the woman who has been dealing with uh, the uh, PR problems for the Uncanny X-Men up until AVX. Kate Kildare, we find out that she's been taken over by uh, Mr. Sinister and he's still alive and well and he's thriving in the in this vessel. I just felt that that didn't need to happen. I do like the idea that they're kind of seeding that, yeah, Mr. Sinister's still out there and some something crazy's going to happen someday whenever they want to use her again. Uh, it just felt very... I don't know, I, I, I don't care about Mr. Sinister anymore. He used to be such a cool villain. And then the last couple of years, they've when they made him like, Miss Sinister and then they have done this weird Victorian era thing, and then he takes over this uh, this character here. I just I just don't care about uh, about the character at all anymore. This is a different inter- inter- uh, iteration or a version of writing Cyclops, because obviously in AVX Consequences we had him being very kind of like wanting to be a martyr, wanting to die, being ready to die, wanting Wolverine to kill him, and here he feels like there's a lot more of him wanting to kind of stand against Mr. Sinister and almost thinking he's still in control, even though he's not. It was, it's kind of schizophrenic in how they're writing him. But again, artistically, it's very schizophrenic because every issue has a different helmet on his head and a different prison he's in. They need to kind of figure that out across the board and be like, okay, this is where he is, this is what it looks like, and this is what he's going to be wearing when he's there. It's not that hard to have that kind of editorial consistency if editorial is doing their job. I don't think they really are at this point. 
Um, so we got Kieran Gillen and uh, Carlos Pacheco were the artistic, sorry, creative team. Keep wanting to say artistic team. They're the creative team on this book. Uh, despite some of the shortcomings, they did give it an 8 out of 10. Uh, that brings us to our second last book, Venom number 26. Um, really didn't care for this at all, and that makes me sad. I was really excited when Minimum Carnage was first announced, and then the first issue, the uh, Minimum Carnage Alpha, was really good. The issue of Scarlet Spider was alright, and now we got this Venom issue, which is part three of the storyline. I just don't care about this storyline at all. It just feels so off the map, and there's something to be said for taking characters who are more street level and and throwing them into an environment that they don't really fit, a very fish out of water, and then just going with it. And, and sometimes it really works, but here it just it just doesn't work. I don't care about any of these characters. I don't care about the microverse, and they're not really doing a good job of explaining these characters. They're just kind of throwing it in and then introducing us to tons of these characters. But if you're not really understanding who they are or why we're supposed to care, then it, it there's no resonance. There's no heft to the issue. And then when you get to the end, you're just kind of like, yeah, well, that happened. Uh, and it just feels like, in some ways, for better or for worse, it does feel like the Circle of Four storyline that happened in Venom uh, back when, um, like, what, a year ago, when he went to Vegas and then there was all that weird Hell on Earth stuff. Because that also felt like something that a lot of things were happening, uh, but then it wasn't referenced for a year, and you could have just kind of gone without it. If you had just skipped that out, you'd have one reference to it, and now he's on the Secret Avengers, and now we're going to do something new, and or in that case, go back to made that book really good, which was going back to the basic idea of this is Venom having to deal with Jack-O-Lantern and Crime Master. Um, so that's kind of how I feel about the storyline so far. We've got a lot of messy things going on, a lot of all these characters, but because it takes place in the microverse, once they're gone, once they're out of the microverse and back home, I don't know if anyone's really going to care about this storyline. They're like, oh, well, that happened. They went off-world for a few issues. Now they're back. And uh, let's not never speak of this again. That's what the storyline feels like. And it's a shame because the alpha issue was so strong and there's a lot of potential in Venom and Scarlet Spider meeting up uh, because of their connections to Peter Parker. But yet, none of that is capitalized on. In fact, they're split up and they're not even near each other. The Carnage, as he's written here, I don't understand where that character is these days because I didn't read the painted uh, issues recently. So I don't even understand where that's coming from. Uh, the, artist, the creative team here was Colin Bunn and art by Declan Shelby. A good creative team. I just this The writing did not ground all this issue all that well, and the artwork does its best, but because you're dealing with all these far-out characters and concepts, it felt kind of out of its league. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with the rest of the storyline. I'm hoping it picks up, but unfortunately, I don't have a lot of faith in it at this point in time, because you know, the last chapters 2 and 3 really didn't grab me, and if, if it's, it's not being able to grab me when it's building things up, I don't know if we really have a lot of places to go from here. Uh, it brings us up to our last issue this week. We've got X-Factor number 245. Um, so I guess this is the end of the Breaking breaking Point storyline. Uh, I have enjoyed it because X-Factor has such a huge cast, and yet Peter David has taken each issue to be like, okay, I'm going to deal with one or two characters, and then we're just going to kind of go from there. Um, and so this issue is more or less all about Havoc as... Uh, Havoc and uh, Multiple Man have a little bit of a hashing out, and then Havoc decides he's going to leave the team. Um, I'm surprised this didn't come out earlier because Uncanny Avengers, he's already kind of he's seeing Cyclops, and then he's getting an offer to join the Avengers and eventually lead them. Whereas here, you have him just feeling out of place. What I thought was interesting is that it feels like, you know, they kind of said, "Hey, Peter David, uh, we want to kind of do something with Havoc, but we don't know what." 
do you want to use them? And he's like, yeah, all right. And then he didn't quite know what he wanted to do with them. But I think part of that was because he didn't know when they'd pull the rug out from under him and say, you know what, we want him back. It's like when they gave him Wolfsbane. And then they're like, you know what, we're going to put her next for us, so we're just going to borrow her. And he's like, well, I was doing things with her. And he's like, yeah, but we're going to take her over here. And it feels like that kind of keeps happening with this book. I mean, it's remarkable that he's been able to keep it so consistent throughout all so many different changes uh, in the roster. A lot of these because other things happen in the Act universe. They need certain characters or they have to do crossovers, what have you, or there's major crossovers like Secret Invasion happening, etc. And so all these things keep happening, and he's just trying to weather the storm. It's like he's surfing, and constantly there's this weird, oddly shaped waves just throwing, coming up out of nowhere. And Peter David is a good enough writer, he's able to just surf on through, uh, whereas most writers would stumble and fall. He does his best, it doesn't always work out, but it's not really his fault. It's because of the, the weird way in which Marvel Editorial is kind of jerking this book around. They let X-Factor exist on its own, which I appreciate for the most part, but it is still, in its own way, uh, contingent on the whims of editorial to kind of move characters in and out. So uh, the fact that Havoc's finally being moved out, but I guess Polaris is sticking behind. Uh, it's interesting because I, I think that although Havoc and Polaris are really great characters, often people just lump them together because they're a couple. It's kind of like Cloak and Dagger, but even but Cloak and Dagger don't exist on their own. You, I mean, once in a while they'll have a storyline where they're apart, but it's usually because they're trying to find the other one, uh, or the other one has been taken away, or the other one has temporarily died and they're trying to bring them back. Like, Cloak and Dagger don't really exist on their own. Same could be said for Polaris and Havoc. As much as they are individual characters, normally they're always, almost always together, except for in the Mutant X book in the late 90s. So it'll be interesting to see what Peter David's able to do with Polaris now that she's on her own, and uh, uh, Havoc is elsewhere. Uh, there's a great part in here, too, which I hope is actually really happening, where it looks like uh, Multiple Man and Layla Miller are eating ice cream, and he's like, hey, Layla. She's like, yeah. And he's like, want to get married? And she's like, yeah, to you? Yeah. When? Right now. And then they leave. And then she's like, yeah, okay. So I guess they're getting married. So, I mean, I really like the character, so I'm hoping that actually happens. Uh, there is a nice uh, panel here that I hope was in the uh, script by Peter David where Havoc puts on some glasses and he's about to leave and then he realizes he gets like a flash of them being ruby red and he's it's kind of, you know, seeing his, his brother in him. So he takes off. Uh, there's also a few mentions here and I really have enjoyed them where they keep referencing the fact that his most Havoc's most recent costume made him look like he escaped from Tron, the movie. So Pip the Troll keeps making mention of it. So in here, like, he's about to take off, and um, uh, Pip the Troll's like, you know, oh, was, you got your, you're going to jump on your light cycle and go? And he's like, oh, I ditched the Tron costume. And even Pip's just like, yep, now I can put it up on eBay. Like, there's a lot of humor in Peter David's script. Uh, I'm interested to see where Havoc goes when he joins the Uncanny Avengers. I do like the last page here, too, with the idea that they did like having Havoc on the team, and now they're about to throw a lot of water balloons at him. I like that there's a gag like that and we don't actually see the resolution because that kind of thing works better. It's just knowing that it's about to happen and kind of imagining it. Um, I'm interested to see where X-Factor goes from here because obviously we had these five five days that will, that will change X-Factor forever. What I liked about it was that each issue focused on a character and he had a major turning point for those characters, but yet it, wasn't, it didn't feel like this big epic storyline that the entire team went through. Instead, it pared down the team a little and kind of resolved a lot of uh, long-simmering plot lines Next issue will be a Pip the Troll focus. Considering the character really hasn't been doing much except for just kind of sitting around and making uh, lewd jokes half the time, I'm interested to see what exactly they're able to do with that. 
Um, so yeah, this is this is this is enjoyable, but I don't really expect much less from X Factor. So Peter David obviously wrote it with Leonard Kirk on artwork. Uh, that got an eight out of ten. There's a few books I didn't get to uh, this this uh, week. We didn't get to unfortunately. I could not find a copy of this, so that's why I didn't review it. But I didn't get to A Babies versus X Babies. I was really excited about this book. I know some people are like, no way, but I was just the cover alone by Scotty Young made me want to read this. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to get my hands on it. Blue Beetle number 13, Captain Marvel number 5, Catwoman number 13, Dark Avengers 182, DC Universe Presents number 13, Legion of Superheroes 13, Wonder Woman 13, a lot of 13s, Red Hood and the Allies number 13, and Ultimate Comics Iron Man number 1. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get to those this week. So joining me right now, just for the end of the show, uh, is my lovely wife, Kelly. Kelly, say hi. Hello. So what is your segment normally called? First Impressions. <laughs> All right, so basically what we're going to do, we're going to do a bit of a lightning round. Uh, we're going to go through uh, all the covers that came out this week and just have Kelly quickly give her, her sentiments based on what they look like. Obviously, listeners who have already listened to this episode will know how I feel about the books, but now we're going to get an idea of what Kelly thinks. Um, and really, that's what that's what the people want, right? Right, yeah. yeah that's, that's what, what they, matters. That's what they really want. Because uh, if you don't pick up the issue, you'll never get to read the story or see the art that Adam speaks about. That's so true. I think the grabbing your attention factor is the most important. So no, you're very correct. Clearly. So first up is Avengers Assemble number eight. So what do you think of this cover? So we got Thanos on it, and we got Thor, and uh, and Hulk on it. I got a lot I of like colors. It. it could be better. Hulk looks weird. Well, it's, it's, there's a lot of detail. It almost looks like Hulk hasn't shaved. You get that? Yeah, I'm not, like... <laughs> You're not sure how you feel about it? I like the cover generally. I would okay. pick it up and flip through it. Okay. Um, a lot of colors and... Yeah, there's a lot of colors. The characters are all drawn well. Um, Hulk looks weird, though. It's th- it, I don't know. It's throwing me. I don't like yeah. it. He, well, I can see, cool. like, the individual hair on his on his arms. You don't like that? But he's a hairy man. No, I know. I just... I don't know. <laughs> No, I, 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 get, I get what you're saying. Looks weird. There's a lot of detail work, and I, a lot of artists do this. He for looks it. like a weird kind of angry. Yeah, well, it's because he's being choked to death. No, I, I get that. Uh, it's okay. Okay. It's good. It's Middle by, of the it, road. It's by Mark Bagley, so we, we, we like him. You, you like him. I like him a lot. So this is AVX Consequences number two. I don't like it. You don't like the giant AVX banner or the ridiculous goggles? On the ridiculous the... goggles. Why is the issue? What, what? are those black light? Oh. Oh, the, he's in prison. These are weapons. Uh, it looks like an axe, but it's really the people... It's kind of interesting. It's basically he's about to get shipped. He's in prison. Yeah, for the goggles. <laughs> That's not why... No, like, I'm pretty sure well, it is. Is he going to get shipped because he's wearing the goggles or because people want the goggles? No, because he's wearing them. And people are going to beat him up like it's a schoolyard. So what do you think? Did you like it? I don't it, like it. You don't like it. You wouldn't pick this up? It's kind of interesting, but not, not to your taste. No. Okay. Next up is Batwoman number 13. Do you like Batwoman? No. I was already like it. What's wrong with that font? What, what do you mean the font? I don't know. The, it, um... Oh, the actual The bat. lettering, yeah. The Batwoman? Yeah, I it's a little like weird. That. But do you like the actual, like, I do, art? yeah. Because I... it's got, like, the scorpion, and, like, it's them being attacked by bugs. Like, yeah. Like, it's, it's really interesting artistically. Would you pick it up, though? Yes. But I would probably, the first thing I'd say would be, like, what's wrong with this writing? <laughs> but I would pick it up. I do like it. I, I like the way... I do like it. Yeah, I think you might actually might like the uh, the interiors if you were, if you were to read it. Someday. Yeah, I'm not gonna read it. I know. <laughs> uh, next one was before Watchmen number four. So we have uh, like the I, now I forget his name, but there's a character who's basically he's, he's passed out drunk. On the um, cover. Do you like the colors. I like the colors. It 
At first, I was about to be like, yeah, I'd totally pick this up because the, the yellow and the black is very striking and it uh, draws your attention in. But then the there's like bright yellow stars in the middle. Yep. So it draws my eye to that section and that's where the guy's passed out drunk. And it's, he's, there's no detail on his face. There's, it's not drawn very well at no. all. No, well, that's it's kind very of... very like, you... oh, I don't have to worry about drawing no, because it's, it's the interesting. bright colors will take care of the people. What's interesting about that, though, is your problem with the Hulk was that he had too much line work on his face and his arms. And your problem here is that there's not enough line work. Yep. So really, what is it? Uh, I don't like laziness or overachievers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I didn't plan that out. That it's was just, amazing. That's how I feel. Okay. Next Ooh, up is... I like this. Why do you like this? Uh, the lettering? The lettering is okay. better, yeah. We're looking at Birds of Prey number 13. Oh, right, yeah. Um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of good colors. Everyone's drawn to the appropriate level of detail. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's no cutting corners on this one. I don't... You know I don't like lazy covers. No, no. I, I don't really... I, I like... What Kata- is this Matrix style? Her name is Katana. She's ready to... She's got a Katana. She's about to fight. It's weird, though, that is she she's... a character from uh, Mortal Kombat? She looks like it. That's no, that's Kit- like Kitana. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Kitana and Katana. Okay. But yeah, no, she looks the same though. I mean, no, I like it. You like it? Yeah. Because uh, there's a lot of characters on it, and it looks like there's it, there's well, action happening. You know there's a lot there's of action, action happening, lines. but it's not like, I mean, the characters all kind of look the same. Well, they are the same. So, just like a clan. There's yeah. a lot of motion lines. Which... They look the same without being identical. True, because there's like yeah. two versions of them, and then they're just repeated. But yeah, they, they, they look interesting. But they have like yeah, they have their own weapons character and stuff. in their face. Plus, there's an advertisement for Arrow on top. No, I don't care about that. <laughs> the next up is uh, Blue Beetle number thirteen. I didn't actually read this one, so let's see what you think of this. Sky Witness returns. Mm, I like it. And he wants his armor back. I like it. I like. Um, I wouldn't read it because it looks creepy, but I, it's it's I a do, good cover. Generally, I do like comics that have. Uh, narration on the cover, like, very bombastic. It kind of reminds me of the Silver Age. A lot yeah. of places don't do that anymore. No, I hear you. So you wouldn't really want to pick this up? No, personally? I mean, I'd be like, oh, that's cool. Not for me. Okay. Uh, next up is Captain Marvel number five, Earth's Mightiest Hero. Mm, I like it. You like it? Yeah. The Dodson's, it's unfortunate the interior artwork does not in any way match oh, the cover. It looks really nice, though. It's very smooth. You got... She's a like a pilot, and and that's kind of why. Um, there's and a plane she's pretty, her. which is important. She's very for, pretty, yeah. Um, but she's wearing a full costume now. To grab the issue. Yes, she used to wear we're just basically, basically a bathing suit with like a sash on it. Yeah, that's not appropriate. Nope. No, this is a good. I like the costume. I like the artwork. I like she's like pretty. She's had, <laughs> she has some battle damage going on. Like she's got some. Yeah, like, and it's not coincidentally just the, the boob section of her top got ripped. Oh my Oops, god! How did that happen? I have to show you uh, World's Finest that came out last week. It basically is an excuse to have her naked because every issue, like they even make a joke of it, and that's when you know it's gone too far. Mm-hmm. Is that she's like, don't you don't you have uh, like a, anything you can make that's an indestructible costume? Because it's constantly getting ripped right around the boobs. Uh, and it happens and uh, every girls... day in my life. I find that <laughs> I have to worry about my boobs being exposed because my clothing rips in that area. Area when I'm doing everyday tasks, it's it's a huge problem for women in comics and women in general. Yep, Catwoman number or not. 13, number Catwoman <laughs> number thirteen. So this is one of these die cut covers they're doing that um, they're doing this for all the Batman Death of the Family storyline. So they're just having like faces. Do you faces. like the face? It's okay. It's kind of. It's not bad. It's a nice face. It's different. Yeah, I don't. Uh, think... There's a little bit of white space. You know how I feel about that. 
Yes, but, but I think too with the face it. it works. Yeah, and because you have the and like the, the idea is every issue of Death of the Family will look the same. They'll have the name of the title down the right hand corner, and then sorry, right hand side, and then the Death of the Family banner, and then you oh, have I kind of like that. I like the continuity. So it'll pop out, and you'll be like, "Oh, I know this is the, another one I got to pick up for part of the storyline because it has this." It's weird though that this is really just a prelude. But really. does that work in reverse? What do you mean? Well, if people are like, I don't like this storyline, they just skip anything that looks that way. Maybe. What's weird about it, though, is that this is just a prelude and doesn't actually have a lot to do with that crossover. Okay. And Nightwing, which did have more to do with it, did not have the cover. So it's a, so it's a be, selective banner. Yeah, it's kind of inconsistent, but the whole idea is to give it consistency. Next up is uh, Daredevil number 19. Head comes off of Daredevil. So this is a new... This is the Coyote Whoa. character. Yeah, he's holding Daredevil's head. That actually happens in the comic. Not very nice. Nope. <laughs> Do you like the cover, though? It, it pops off the page a little. It's all red. Mm-hmm. Other books are usually white or, you know, darker colors. This is a red comic. I don't know. You, um, you don't like the Daredevil, uh, the, the banner is half covered in blood? Uh, you know, I like that. That's good. It's not bad. This is a mediocre cover to me. Because you don't care I about see, the character? Yeah, no, I just, I see what you're talking about. The red, it's nice, but it's a little too simple. Okay. It's very plain. Hold on, hold on. Are there not enough lines in Daredevil's face? No, it's fine. Stop it. <laughs> it's fine. It's... I think it's... I think it's exactly what they intended. Okay. It's very simple, so you get the point across. I'm holding Daredevil's head. Period. End of story. There's not a lot of other uh, stuff going on. Okay. There's not much more so thought think, going into it. I think the cover... Um, the execution of the cover is probably exactly what was intended. Okay. Is it my favorite cover? No. no but... It's an artistic choice that they made that I, I can respect. Okay. Dark Avengers number 182. Who's that guy? Which guy? That guy. What, Juggernaut? Oh, he's funny looking there. He's, he looks like he's got a bucket on his head. He Dark, just looks like a little baby. There's Ghost. Now I'm going to get you. <laughs> there's Ghost and Juggernaut and Luke Cage staring right at you. Right Who's into your girl? soul. I, I can't remember her name. Oh. Uh, Send your hate mail to Boomerang. You. Whatever. <laughs> Boomerang. There's Moonstone. Moonstone's there's cute. Man-Thing. It's not bad. Uh, Mr. Hyde. I forget who that character is. <laughs> He's funny looking. It's a girl. Oh, she's funny looking. On the bottom of the page, there's a girl with like a weird... I don't even know how to describe it. She's got like a... Furry weapon. hood. Furry hood, but that looks like a like a creature's mouth. <laughs> like she could be like a character. Yeah. So what do you think of this one? It's good. I like it. I like it. It's a little muted. Yeah. It's not... It's... It's subdued. It's not flashy or bright colors. I mean, cause, um, considering Luke Cage is wearing a yellow shirt. He's drawn really well. He really is. Like, his face looks like it. A real face? Yeah. Like, he's looking right at you. Like, look, look at the eye, though. Like, that's a lot of detail. Like, no, it looks good. There's a lot in there. There's <laughs> just an appropriate amount of detail in his face. Stop. Yeah, no, he looks like a photograph. Like, okay. he's drawn really well. I like uh, Mr. Hyde. He looks he's... like a person as opposed to, like... I got you. You know, a character. Like a... He just doesn't look comic Not like Juggernaut, who looks yeah, very he looks comic like, booky. Oh, yeah, like, <laughs> you think he looks like a baby in a, in a Well, realm? he does, yeah. No, that's a good cover. I like that. Next up is DC Universe Presents number 13. This is uh, Black Lightning and Blue Devil. Black and blue. No? No? It doesn't do, doesn't do this for you? Yeah. You made such a great face at this. This is a weird version of Blue Devil. He looks ridiculous. Yeah. And it looks like he stole the trident from Aquaman. Yeah. Um... That guy looks pretty lame, too. Well, uh, uh, Black Lightning? Yeah. Is he like Booster Gold? No. He's actually cool. No, he's not cool, but he's not Booster Gold. Mm, I think he is. Okay. So you're not, you wouldn't really pick it he's up? A power Lad. 
Power Man. Man. Whatever. I want to call him Power Man. He Lad. looks like Power Man, actually, because he has the same kind of... The the newer Power Man has the... No. the, the okay, so you know I would big, pass on this. You'd pass. It looks... Um, what's the word? It looks cheesy. Okay. Green Lantern, New Guardians, number 13. Ooh, I like it. Is it because it has Star Sapphire on the cover? Uh, No, but that helps. Is it because it has all the lanterns? Yeah. All and the colors? I, see, with, <laughs> I feel like... Green Lantern is a book that has to use bright colors and lots of colors. Yes. Hello, their whole storyline is based on colors being powerful. <laughs> like, green is this, and yellow is this. And, like, <laughs> this is a book that needs to use colors. I agree. So, I think this is the perfect use of color when they have... What um, do you think about these zombie creatures I like them. all around it? See, really? you could have just had that background to be, like, plain blue. Yeah. You know, because the oh, characters right. are right. the forefront. Yeah. But they've done something with the background... That's a good point. I mean, in this case, it, it works also with the story that they're portraying. Yeah. But I think it's a good way to fill space. None of the characters are, none of the background characters are amazingly drawn. No. And they don't have color. In this case, they're all like very muted, yeah. light blue sea creatures or whatever. No, you're right, but actually. That it's makes a good sense. way of filling space that doesn't take away from the main drawings. Okay. Do you like Star Sapphire's new costume? Because she used I do, to have I a like lot it of, a lot. There used to be a lot of boobage and a lot of like skin, but now yeah. it actually is like a full outfit. So now I can wear that for Halloween. You could wear the other one if you wanted. No, not thanks, so. though. <laughs> you didn't want to? I'm good. Okay. Uh, next up is my pick of the week in terms of my favorite comic of the week, Hawkeye number three. It's very minimalist. Oof, terrible. Hold on. Because you... Nope. Come on. Nope. You don't love this cover? Terrible. Boring. Can I show you lazy. a little... I'm going to show you a little bit of what, oh, the interior. What? what? Keep going. Well, you don't like the recap page? It, no, it's boring. It's very minimalist. Oh, is that what we're calling it? Yeah, the comic is about minimalism. Sure it is. And like it's like it's got car chase stuff happening. No, the art's not even good. Whoa. This is your pick of the week? Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. Like one of the best things I've read in a long time. I'm gonna have to listen to this podcast and see. <laughs> well no, it's really good. And okay, there's one part well, first of all Hawkeye's naked. That well. But there's this great panel where these people break in the door and they're like this this uh, tracksuit mafia and the, the, and uh, they're like sub bros and they start gunfire and he jumps through the air and they have a little Hawkeye head over his junk. Does that at least make you laugh? No. Oh it's okay. my god. Um. Yeah, I'm not. We You're, can move on. You can this, move on. Yeah. Oh, I don't oh. like the art. I don't. The cover is boring. Oh, I would not pick it up. I, it looks very um, amateur. You think it looks like Manhattan Projects, don't you? <laughs> a lot of white oh, space? Hate, yeah. There is no. a lot of white space, but it's effective. I mean, and you. And I could draw that. Uh, well. I don't know if you could draw it. I'm going to do it. I'm okay. going to do a recreation. Okay. Next up is Justice League number 13. Ooh, so, I like it. So you got Ooh, she's one, crazy. You got looking. Wonder Woman, you got Cheetah, and you got Superman, and Flash and Cyborg are there, and Batman in the background, yeah? Yep. You might like the first page. I'm not sure. Uh, no, there's some alternate covers. No, no, we're just looking at regular, no alternate covers, although that was nice. Ooh, what's that? Well, it's hey, the first page not, of the comic. It is nice. Superman, you like, because you like love. They're not supposed to be together. No, well, they're not in this new universe, they're going to have a relationship. What? With Superman and Wonder Woman. I'm not okay with this. Because that. he's not married to Lois anymore. She's dating someone. He's alone. I'm not okay with this. You're not okay with this? But How does Batman feel about this? Oh, because they briefly had, well, in this well, universe, they never liked like, each other. Trinity is the three of them. Two of them can't date. 
Yeah, well, they could. Ruins the dynamic. Yeah, they could, though. I mean, their covers were terrible, so... <laughs> the Trinity means, covers? If it means they'll never make more Trinity comics, I'm okay with it. Legion of Superheroes number 13, so you liked Justice League. I liked it. I don't even need to say why. Anyone okay. who sees it will know. I like the, the Legion of Superheroes, just the, the font for its title. Yeah, I agree. It, it's nice. But the rest of it could really go well. Uh, it's, it's not terrible. It, it's... <laughs> really? Are you sure it's not terrible? It looks odd. This doesn't... I did not review this. This what is, is part of the reason What is wrong with that why. girl's boobs? Which girl? Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Something's weird. Look at her weird hair. I'm okay with that. I don't know. This... <laughs> I don't even know who these characters are. I know the Cosmic Boy. I don't know the rest. Well, doesn't that sort of... I mean, it, if you knew It doesn't pique my interest. Help? No. Oh. I, even if I don't... I, I'm interested. Like, I want to know what these orbs of light are and why like, they're you don't know who a lot of these some of these characters are but i know everyone but you're still like oh this looks interesting but really does this make you want to read more more than the last one i mean what? not the last one the hawkeye oh right? whatever i can't even talk to you right now <laughs> okay marvel now point one so you got oh yeah 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 why uh-huh. he's throwing no- notes at you yeah. What's it also, like, Each it looks one... like they just took a picture of him. Like, he's drawn so good. Oh, the, so we're looking at Nick Fury. It's Nick Fury's son, Nick, Nick Fury Jr. He's wearing Captain uh, Steve Rogers' original outfit that he was wearing for a while as Commander Rogers. And he's throwing dossiers at the reader, and these are... Basically, each story, because this is a compendium of a bunch of different stories. So we have a Nova story, an Ant-Man story. Blue Blazes. <laughs> this one doesn't say it. What? I know. Young Avengers. Does Paul know about this? He does know. He's a little sad. He, he shed tears uh, in the last episode. Uh, Star-Lord and Cable. So, you like it, though? Cause it, no, he, I like it a lot. This he looks is, uh, This is one of the better covers of the week, for okay. sure. Okay. Uh, next up is Marvel Zombies Halloween, number one. You know you're not going to like this. For what it is... For what it is, it's not... <laughs> like, it's a, it says Marvel Zombies. Like, you yeah. kind of come into it knowing what you're going to expect, right? So I you, pick it up still. Yeah? You're like, oh, what's this? And then really? I put it back down. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, that's what that is. Like, it's bloody, and you got Daredevil, Luke Cage, and, and I think Black it's probably Panther. exactly what was intended. Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. What is in their Halloween bucket? I think it's brains. Oh, yeah. Because they're zombies. zombies, right? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Those are the meanest-looking jack-o'-lantern pals, too. That's some nasty trick-or-treating. It is. Uh, next up is Mighty Thor, number 21. You might like this. You got some... You got a giant demon, and you got Thor. Yeah, I do like thing. it. Yeah, and there's some color. And Thor it's could have a little more detail. Yeah, no, he's kind of generic. His face is sort of dis- well, it like looks like it's skeleton. looking away from you though. Mm. It's not meant to. You're not really no, meant know, to see but it. But just because the way that it's it's it looks like they did that so they wouldn't have to draw. It doesn't I, look like that was the stylistic choice. Well, he has to choice. face the villain. You think it's just a cheap, cheap uh, a way of getting out of it? Because they just like they've added shadows to be like, eh, I don't feel like drawing. Okay. Whatever his ear, we, wing, helmet, wing thing. <laughs> like they drew one in there and they put a shadow and they're like, yeah, you can't see it because of the shadowing. Like they're just, it just felt like a lazy draw. But overall, because that's a small portion, yeah, um, the cover it's still more works for me. Than yeah. New Avengers 31, so you got uh, Doctor Strange on the cover. Uh, pretty nice artwork by uh, Mike Diodato. What do you think? It's okay. Yeah? Pretty good. Would you pick it up? You got some pink energy? Mm. The interior artwork is horrible. Like, like it's very heavily inked. and So mm. you get that cover, and it's very vibrant. And then you get to this I don't this know issue. that I would have called the cover very vibrant. It's okay. In comparison to the rest of the issue, which I guess is very so, because it has the like, energy 
there's, and stuff. And, it's not bad. It's, and, it's, although it makes me wonder where Doctor Strange has the time to work out like that because he's ripped. Like he's just a doctor who just like does. Sorry, just a doctor. <laughs> no, I mean he's a doctor of the mystical. Just no, a doctor. He's a mystical doctor. Just a mystical doctor. <laughs> anyway, never mind. Moving on. Nightwing number thirteen. You like Nightwing? Don't tell me what I like. Lady Shiva's got her sights set on Gotham, so you have. Mm. Uh, this is a common trope in comic covers where they have like the the crosshair. Yeah. And I don't actually know why the crosshair is there because no one's assassinating Shiva, so I don't even know why it's there. We got Nightwing kind of in the background. It's all right. It's okay. It doesn't really. It's a little boring. Yeah, it it is kind of generic. Uh, this one I don't think you're gonna like this one. Red Hood and the Outlaws number thirteen. I don't like Red Hood. So you have Blackfire, Starfire. What is she doing? She's grabbing her sister by the neck, obviously. As they're trying to bring the other two away. I don't like this. No? It's very messy. The colors are weird, too. Like, they've made some weird color choices. Yes, they have. It's a messy... It's colored weirdly. And what kind of outfit is the, is, is Blackfire wearing? Like, what? I don't know what this part is. Is that part of the outfit? Or is it just stuff in the uh, air? It's a necklace. Is that a necklace? No, I don't know. It looks like... You know what it looks like? It looks like clothespins <laughs> on her neck. Well, like, there's more over here. Yeah, what are they? I don't know. Is, are they like, like an energy field? I didn't read it, so maybe that, maybe that's maybe why. Maybe it would have been explained. Uh, and then some clothespins flew out at her and grabbed her all over. Like you never know. I like to believe that that's exactly what the narration says. It is. Uh, next up is Supergirl number thirteen. It's kind of uh, nope. not the greatest cover. Nope, it's not good. It's lacking a little bit in detail. Yep. Some weird anamorphous man. Coloring's is... weird. Detail is lacking. Okay. Boring. Would not pick it up. Next up is the one I said that girls might like to read. Sword of Sorcery, featuring Amethyst, number one. Oh, it's cute. You like it? Yeah, I like it. Yeah. So there's... Also featuring Beowulf. Yeah, no one cares about that, though. Oh, okay, we don't. I hope not, anyway. No, I I really liked it. Basically, this girl gets transported to Gemworld. She's drawn well, good colors, good background. Very vibrant. Yep. I would definitely pick that up. Be like, oh, what's this? Not just for girls, though, because it's good for anybody. I I quite enjoyed it. If I were a boy, I would also pick it up. All right, then. Ultimate Comics Iron Man number one. Meh. It's very meh. Like, what is this? Mm. They're putting it on his face, but the coloring of his face doesn't even seem to make sense with the cover. Boring. Like, ah. It's it it looks very boring, yeah. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man number Ultimate Comics Spider-Man number sixteen. So it's very vibrant. He's coming right at you. I like it. You like it? He looks very um. Small. Small. That's like girlish to, frame. He's supposed to be a thirteen-year-old boy. Okay, that works then. So yeah, they check. They, so they make him look yeah, because usually there's an emphasis on making characters look bigger and stronger. No, he looks little. He looks live. Like he looks like he'd be if a gymnast. If you were on America's Next Top Model, Tyra would not like this picture. Why? Because uh, he looks little, and you're supposed to model head to toe and lengthen out. He's he he's lengthening little. though. No, he looks tiny. Uh, in the he's background, losing his angles. <laughs> That's horrible. Next up is Uncanny X-Men number 20. Um, so this is the last issue. Ooh, it's on fire. Ooh. You like that? Oh, I like it a lot. So you have the idea that this was the team that was on in this book, and now that team's gone, so it's burning up like this this photo, of the, and you got the, the phoenix bird. Ooh, it's really good. Yeah, it's yeah good, good it colors, does pop good art. Off. It does really pop off I would the definitely pick this up. Because you'd be like, whoa, what's this? There's is fire. This, is it good? It's all right. It's all right. Okay. I think I gave the it. An, I gave it an eight. Although. Okay, an eight's pretty good. It, it was. It was pretty solid. It was. It was a last issue, and it felt like it. And they wrapped up some storylines. Uh, the artwork was pretty good, but you got yeah, the cover. The cover art is really good. Yeah, it's really solid. And actually, Emma Frost doesn't look too hoochie. 
Uh, I mean, she's still hoochie. It's like mediocre hoochie. But what about Storm? Yeah. She's I kind don't of, remember Storm having... She's just kind of giving it away. Is she allowed to do that? Who? That girl's like covering her boobs entirely. No, Hope? She's supposed to be a 15-year-old girl. Oh, okay. <laughs> so is that okay? Yeah. Well, no, it's fine with me if they want to cover their... <laughs> I just didn't know if it was allowed. Okay, next up is Venom number 26. You don't usually like Venom. Nope, and that uh, trend continues. Actually, it's not terrible. You got Carnage, and it's very like, rah, and you got Venom. Although, it's very what? Rah. <laughs> What's weird about Venom is that he's shooting his gun. These two, there's, there's four shots, but there's two guns. So I don't understand where these shots are. Like, um, mo- I do. He moved. It was like yeah, but then you should show action shots. It looks like he's just aiming one way and pointing that way and shooting his gun. And yet there's two shots going elsewhere. Mm. Who's shooting those shots? Maybe. If there's someone else Did you panel, read the book? I did. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's not terrible. It's not the worst Venom cover. No? I think Venom covers are judged in their own category. Because <laughs> they can't like compete them in general? with regular comics. It's one of the better Venom titles. What is this? Wonder, Wonder Wom- Woman? Wonder Woman number 13. No, I wouldn't pick that up. No, it's in the middle of the desert. Nope. No? Why not? Um, It's very... I don't like minimalist. that style of art. Very minimalist? Yeah, again, it's like the Hawkeye book. I don't like it. It just looks lazy. That's amateurish. A, the last one is X, X Factor number 245. It's better be good. I know Break- we go alphabetically, but we should end on a high note. It's called Breaking Points number mm, 5. No. But it's breaking points. The idea is that, like, you know, they're breaking apart. And he's just left alone. It's okay. He might be getting married. Okay. Did you hear me talking about the issue? No. Oh. Him and the girl he he likes, they're like, let's get married. They're like, okay. Nope. No? It's good good stuff, though. The inside art looks a little better. Oh, it's a different artist, so it looks a lot more vibrant. There's a lot more going on. Yeah, it's more... The cover's, like... Maybe they made it blue because he's sad, but like it's just very like <laughs> it's like comic book one hundred and one. I love like, that. Blue that's the idea. Sad. This guy's sad. Let's draw him in blue. Yeah, I get it. So that was. Uh, do you want to take a look at any of the covers from last week that you missed when no. you weren't on the episode? No, are I sure? think they will. Your fans sure. might. Appreciate no, I think it. they're fine. You're, you're sure your fans are okay? If anyone sends fan mail and uh, outrage that I didn't do covers last week, they can let us know. But I think comic shenanigans at gmail <laughs> I think we're probably send in your outrage mail. Outrage mail. That's a thing, though. It sure is. I'm gonna get lots. <laughs> lots of outrage mail. Oh, I'll get outrage mail about you not being on the episode. Okay. You'll just get fan mail. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. More of Kelly. She's awesome. <laughs> XOXO. <laughs> You're adorable, but thank you. All right. So thank you, Kelly, for joining me for the, the lightning round portion, which was, you know, 15 minutes or so of lightning round. Still lightning round. We went through like 30, 30 covers or so. Uh, thanks again for joining us for uh, episode number 19 of Comic Shenanigans. This was Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, October the 17th. Uh, hope you uh, enjoyed the episode. Uh, again, you can follow us on Facebook. Uh, we have a page there now. And comicshenanigans at gmail.com is the email address. So we do want to hear from you. Uh, we want to hear ideas for future episodes, what you'd like to see us talk about. Um, see us talk about? Hear us talk about. Just, you couldn't just let it go? Nope. 
Okay, episode number 20, which will be coming up in the next couple days, will be part two of our Avengers vs. X-Men wrap-up discussion. Uh, it'll be the, the last hour and 45 minutes of that marathon discussion. Uh, and then afterwards, uh, hopefully we'll have some good content coming up for you soon. Uh, we have a discussion on uh, you know famous, uh, favorite female characters and creators in comics as we celebrate uh, or commemorate, uh, I guess, uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Um, and uh, we also have some good, a, a new Heroclix episode will be coming up shortly. So thanks again for joining us for Comic Shenanigans, and uh, come back next time.